Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Joshua Shea. He is a pornography addiction expert, a certified betrayal trauma coach, and the author of three books about pornography addiction, including He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An expert and former addict answers your questions. Prior to admitting his 24-year addiction to pornography in 2014, Joshua was a prominent magazine publisher, award-winning journalist, film festival founder, and politician in Central Maine. In 2017, Joshua launched the website recoveringpornaddict.com. Other books by by Joshua include Porn and the Pandemic, How Three Months in 2020 Changed Everything, and The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, How I Let My Pornography Addiction Hurt People and Destroy Relationships. Joshua, thank you very much for joining us on today's episode. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. So Joshua, I now gave you that introduction. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what you do? Yeah, um, these days I tend to split my time between uh, education about pornography addiction, um, and you know what what that's kind of why I'm here right now. This is this part of my life where I just try to get the idea out to people that uh, not that. Uh, pornography is an evil thing, not that pornography is a bad thing, but pornography is something that if it's going to be used, it needs the potential outcomes need to be understood more. And now that we've had high, high speed internet for 20 plus years, uh, we do know what some of those results are. So we can start actually implementing uh, what we know based on 20 years of young men and women and and even older men and women growing up with complete unfettered access to the most hardcore pornography possible. And, uh, you know, obviously we, we now know that it can be addictive. I read recently in an article that the addictive uh, machinations in the head, the closest other addiction to porn addiction is actually cocaine addiction for what happens exactly there, which makes sense to me as somebody who was, was an addict for a very long time. Uh, so I'm trying to get the words out there. I have done a ton of studying. Like you've mentioned, I've written three books and then I have the experience myself. So that, that kind of makes me a little bit different than a lot of people in sharing my story. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an academic. Uh, I'm a guy who went through it, but I'm a guy who also, because I'm a research geek because of my journalist background, I, I love reading, uh, these kinds of, you know, uh, journal of medicine and and these kinds of things, but I know the average person doesn't. And uh, as I was going through early recovery, uh, the recovery I was going through personally was, you know, a, a magnificent transformation, but I was learning so much from these journals and from these other medical papers that I just had no idea what a real problem this was, what a real problem was on our uh, horizon. And I thought that, you know, what I can do to turn around the mistakes of my life, what I can do to try to give back is to translate this into English for the average folks. Yes, because, you know, I, I used to write, I used to write at a daily paper and they would always tell us sixth grade level, sixth grade level, because we'd all try to outwrite each other, those of us in the room who were, you know, fancied ourselves writers. And I, I, I really got what they meant by that when I finally went to the bookstore and there was nothing there for porn addiction. And there are a few things on Amazon, but most of them are written by doctors or therapists. Or the other thing is that they're written by wives or uh, they're written girlfriends or they're written anonymously. There's nobody who kind of brought the worlds of experience and research together. So that's what I that's what I did try to do with my books is, you know, a, show both sides of it that uh, there's a scientific side, but there's a really major personal human side to it, too. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate you bringing this to our listeners, because a lot of times we do interview 
people whose expertise comes more from the academic side or the research side um, and bringing the personal into this, I think is going to just add an element and a dynamic. So the impact of pornography is complex and there's elements of this that are certainly controversial. Some approaches to pornography are very affirming, uh, very encouraging for people to utilize pornography, while others view porn with more skepticism, more questioning about its impact. Can you weigh in on this a little bit more? Sure. Um, Well, I mean, first of all, I think that uh, there are a lot of nuances that people, we all assume we're on the same page on, but we're not. For instance, what is pornography? You know, the Supreme Court will never define it because the Supreme Court will only talk about obscenity. And while some state courts have tried to talk about pornography, most of them fumble pretty badly, too. I think that uh, what we need to recognize is that while, yes, pornography is that triple X stuff that we can all agree, is that pornography is really anything that is used to stimulate the senses to stimulate the sex organs. Um, and that can be erotic literature, like Lady Chatterley's Lover. You could be list- there could be a specific song that, you know, people joked about, you know, Barry White was the guy you made love to in the 70s because of his deep voice. So when people think pornography, I don't think it's just that triple X stuff. I think it's anything we use to heighten ourselves or to stimulate ourselves in, in that direction. And I think it's also important to say, I am not anti-pornography in that I'm not trying to eradicate it from the earth because that would be stupid. You can go back to, you know, ancient Mesopotamia, you know, the Tigris and Euphrates, and you look at those, those caves, there are paintings that, gee, that looks like two people getting it on. Or you go to a, you go to one of, you know, a great art museum of this world and go to the medieval exhibit. Those, you know, Egyptian pottery, that, yeah, that is X-rated stuff. They're painting on it. Uh, the Kama Sutra is thousands of years old from India, and it's still considered the you know guide to guide to a million and one positions. So pornography, in one form or another, has been around forever. Depictions of the nude body, in one form or another, have been around forever. It's not going away. I know in the '60s and '70s you had some you had very radical left and radical right people ironically working together because this is the one thing they could agree on was that pornography should be banned. Uh, They failed miserably. Every argument I've seen, whether it's trafficking or look what happens to these uh, stars and why they're doing it and Whatever excuse has ever been brought up to stop watching pornography and to eliminate pornography, I can promise you has never worked. So we need to look at this from a different point of view, and we need to tackle this from a different point of view. And I think that we can, based on statistics, based on science, based on what we know, and and it's just a matter of uh, applying the data that we know now to taking care of a problem, but because it's naked people, because it's sex, because it talks about those little places in the back of your head. You don't want to admit there might be a little itch that needs some scratching. We all want to pretend we don't look at pornography yet. The vast majority of American men and women under 50 do view pornography at least once a month. Yes. So what I hear you getting at is that it's, a bit more complex than either completely affirming or having a strong stance against it. Pornography is a reality of the world that we live in. It probably has been a reality of the world for many, many It's going years. nowhere. And so it, it, how do how do we use it now? How do we how do we deal with it in our lives? How do we accept that it's here? How do we accept that it's even legal? You know, if you want to if you want to make it illegal, go fight in Washington. That's not my battle. My battle is we have this stuff. How do we use this stuff healthy? I am not anti-porn. I am pro-healthy sexuality. Okay, so so to that end, help our listeners understand a little bit more what would constitute a porn addiction. Porn addiction is the same as any other addiction. It really is. Porn addiction doesn't take place between the legs. It takes place in the brain. Just like food addiction doesn't take place in the stomach. It takes place in the brain. Same with drugs, alcohol, video games, everything. Essentially, you you rewire your brain, not intentionally, but you rewire your brain to the point that 
despite the fact you understand that there are severe negative consequences to be had engaging in your behavior or substance or, or whatever it is, you continue to do so and cannot stop regardless of any promises made to yourself. That's planning your day around porn. That's that's somebody leaves the house unexpectedly, you run to the computer because you now have a 15-minute window to look at porn. Okay, um, so, so Joshua, can I ask you yeah. to describe that a little bit more so our listeners can understand the distinction? I think what becomes um, really tricky when exploring the notion of addiction is with the level of access that people have certainly with uh, you know, almost everybody on planet earth is carrying around a smartphone. Right. So it becomes really tricky to definitionally get into what an addiction is because a lot of times people are alone with a smartphone. Right. So if they pull that out and they utilize that, is that addictive behavior? Is that, well, did you used to play solitaire? Did you used to watch Netflix? Did you used to text friends and talk to them? How much has this behavior taken over your life and how much can you not get away from it? You know, one of the things that, uh, especially with, with, pornography addiction, you hear about these guys just make these promises to themselves. I'm not too, I'm not going to look at any porn today, or I'm only going to look for an hour. And then three hours later, they don't know where the time went. I'm only going to look at a certain type of pornography and not this other type that may be a little weirder or a little more extreme or not mainstream. And the person ends up back looking at old people in diapers throwing fish sticks at each other or whatever it is that they're they're enjoying um it's 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 that it takes over your life you do not think that you can live without it now i was also uh, an alcoholic for 22 years along with being a uh, a porn addict and i can tell you they served the same masters they were about dulling the stress of my day. I learned very early on, 12 years old with porn, 14 years old with alcohol, that these two things, no matter how I was feeling, I could feel more in control. I could feel better about myself. Anxiety dropped, stress dropped. I didn't have any coping mechanisms that were healthy. Uh, I was not taught anything healthy back then. That's one of the reasons I'm out there talking so much now is, is there anything that could have been said to 10-year-old Josh? to not have him be a porn addict in the long run. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Maybe I would have been a different kind of addict of, of some other kind. I don't know, but I know that my parents had no information and I had no information. And I would like to give people as yeah, much information as possible. We definitely appreciate that. And I think that kind of dovetails very nicely into the next question I had for you, which is, is every person susceptible to porn addiction just by access and overuse, or is there um, a specific addiction profile or what some people call like an addictive personality that would be prone to this? Uh, yes, no, yes, 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 no, yes. Um, I, uh, um, I think that people, I, I know there are people who can look at pornography and they suffer no ill effects. They can do that as a single person. They can do that as a couple. Now, this is not commenting or judging them watching pornography as a moral issue, judging what's on the screen as a moral issue, anything like that. I just believe that there are people who can watch it and do not get addicted. Similarly, the fact that I can go to a casino and not and, and be there for an hour and walk away. And that's fine. I can go to a buffet and after I think the average person at a buffet probably does two plates and a dessert. That's what I do. And then I'm gone. Why am I not addicted to food? Why am I not addicted to gambling, but I'm addicted to alcohol and pornography? That's a darn good question. I don't know exactly why it was porn and not something else. Um, I, I wish I knew, but I... I can handle some of these other things that people can't. And I understand, you know, hey, I understand cake is great. I don't understand needing it to the point that you get sick. I understand there's a little bit of adrenaline when I'm gambling, when the wheels are spinning and that last one, you're waiting to see if it matches up, you know, or, or the roulette wheel is spinning that, that, yeah, that that's exciting. 
Um, there, you know, I, that's obviously why people are there excitement and winning a little money. I don't understand putting my child's college fund onto something. Uh, that is, those are illnesses. And I don't think that those things should be banned because there are some other people who can't handle it. I think that handling addiction is, is the, the, uh, uh, responsibility of every addict, but you know, people can look at porn and be fine. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 there are couples that can use it and be fine. And there are couples that use it and it destroys their relationship. You know, it's, it depends on each individual person. And, uh, you know, I don't want to tell anybody that they should, or they shouldn't, they can, or they can't. Um, I want them to know what might happen, just like if they were going to light up a cigarette, just like if they were going to have a drink, they should know what they're in for before they start. And then it's up to them if they want to do it. Mm -hmm. And what I'm gathering from that is that not everybody is necessarily susceptible to or is primed for this type of addiction. We all come with a, a, you know, different background, a different biology. It's really hard to tease out why somebody would be predisposed to one type of addiction and not another. Um, But you're saying a lot of this is about fair warning. If you're engaging in this type of activity, there is a potential outcome here that if you're not using this correctly, or if you have um, some susceptibility to this, this could lead to an addiction. Right. And I think it's, and it's one of these substances that we are naturally sexually curious. So when you're young, you start to wonder about body parts. When you, you know, uh, in, in our days, you stumbled upon a magazine in the woods. That was what you, you know, you hope to find that. We didn't have our smartphones back then. It's so easy to get at now that it can change a society. And that's why we need to talk about it. You know, I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. It took 50 years of talking about teen smoking to see those rates drop. But I can guarantee you there's been no teenager in my lifetime who ever picked up a cigarette and said, I bet these aren't bad for me. These are fantastic because they knew. Now, and I'll be the first to say that, you know, I smoked cigarettes for a couple of years in my 20s. I didn't have any question what this could lead to. I knew it. But it wasn't until I actually went to rehab for my alcoholism that I was introduced to the concept of porn addiction because people don't talk about it. It's not out there. Everybody knows about alcohol addiction, mm-hmm. but the uh, the DSM didn't start including it until the 70s. And they, uh, before uh, Alcoholics Anonymous in the 30s, People were just thought to be insane and thrown thrown into asylums because they were chronic alcoholics uh, or substance use disorder or whatever we're calling it these days. People need to recognize that uh, addiction is capable with just about anything. Addiction is not a positive thing. It really, I, I you could be addicted to beautiful flowers. There's going to be a problem there because by definition, addiction interrupts the normal flow of your life. Okay. So Joshua, let, let's go right there because I, I, I want to get to what I think might be at, at the heart of the matter here, which is in a lot of the addictions that, that are well-known food, gambling, alcohol, substance abuse, the negative outcomes are pretty clearly outlined. So like you were saying, putting your your child's college fund on a casino table, overeating or having problematic relationship with food has health implications, alcohol, substance abuse, also a tremendous impact on health, on relationships. Could you outline what some of the negative impacts are of being addicted to porn. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and and one of the things that's the biggest challenge for the partners of porn addicts uh, is that with all addiction, there's a decrease in libido. And that's what's actually ironic with porn addiction is while there is a measurable decrease of libido, the person is engaging in an activity that causes them to get more sexually charged. So uh, one of the things I deal a lot with now in coaching is, is betrayal trauma. So you have that. That is one thing that is very unique to porn and sex addiction, uh, that you have you find partners who uh, really take on a ton of trauma, sometimes end up even worse as the ad- than the addict. Um, 
and you don't see that with the other things. You know, a heroin a heroin user's wife usually doesn't ask if she's not if is she not good enough in her role as a wife. That's why he's using heroin. Or is this guy gambling away our kids' college fund and our mortgage because I'm not good enough and better? I'm not pretty enough. That's one of the biggest things that I see with porn addiction is that it affects the 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 family so much, especially the partner more than any other addiction that I've seen. Uh, it really takes its toll because. So many guys hide it, much like I did. So many guys won't talk about it. So many guys deny that they look at it, deny that they have a problem, that it gets so secretive that it starts to, oh, is he cheating on me? Is he having sex with And they're going to places that the guy may never, ever be. Mm-hmm. But because there's so much secrecy around sex and nudity and all that, and oh my God, I don't want my wife or girlfriend or husband or boyfriend to find out that I'm looking at this stuff because maybe he'll think I'm a perv. Maybe he'll think I, I, I'm a, a nymphomaniac. Maybe he'll think I want to be with other people. Maybe he's a, Maybe he or she's opposed to this stuff and I have to hide it for moral reasons from them for me doing this. But there's so much secrecy with it that when the secrecy comes out, it's different than any other addiction. Like any like any addiction, it does take so much of a person's time, so much of a person's mental energy. Uh, people who become addicts become liars. They become manipulators. They become slaves to their addiction. Now, specifically with porn addiction, um, their you know uh, erectile dysfunction is one of the biggest things that we're seeing now, late teens, early 20s. One of the first guys, uh, tell you a real quick story, one of the very first guys that I ever coached, I'll call him Brian, that wasn't his real name, uh, his girlfriend got, he was 22, his girlfriend got in touch with me call her Whitney in this story. Whitney was a 20 year old, uh, nursing student or whatnot. And she told me about, uh, Brian and basically he had used so much pornography in his teen years to the point where there were times where he actually injured himself, which happens with some people who are chronic masturbators, they injure themselves. They actually can, you know, cause yeah, lesions, cause, injury. Yeah. cause sores. Yeah. And I think I, I mentioned that to people and, you know, people have no idea about this area. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but um, he could not, his type of uh, erectile dysfunction known as porn induced erectile dysfunction. His story was basically that he, could not get an erection and finish unless pornography was playing in the room. He and 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 Whitney was a very pretty 20-year-old, smart, you know, funny, kind of what every guy who's 20, 21 wants in a girlfriend, uh, assuming they're heterosexual. And she wasn't doing it for him. Why? Because he had fried the pleasure centers, the dopamine receptors, the serotonin receptors, and all the other happy chemical receptors in his brain had been fried. So when he was having real life, quote unquote, normal people sex with his girlfriend, who, you know, wasn't like built like an Amazon or didn't have crazy things going on, and they had very, you know, I don't want to call it normal, but they had very vanilla middle of the road sex that most of us probably have. And he, that wasn't enough for him because he had seen so much extreme, so much over the top that for him to orgasm, he needed to be seeing something on a screen. So here's, what's interesting is that she figured out, uh, before they came to me, she figured out that if she put, uh, if she went into the living room of their apartment and, uh, was on her laptop or her phone and he was in their bedroom on his laptop or his phone, they could actually have a sexting session and go back and forth. And because this was on a screen, despite the fact it was his girlfriend who he had seen naked 12 million times, this, he was watching her on a screen. So it tickled those parts of his brain that told him that he needed pornography. So he was able to basically have a sexting session with her. And then shortly before the, you know, the, the end, there would be some kind of signal or whatnot. And she'd run in the room and then they would finish together without pouring on. And that's the only way they could do it. And when she came to me, uh, you know, I, 
she said, it was something I'm always going to remember. She said that the only way that we could have children is if pornography is playing in the room when that child is made. And I don't want to have a child made that way. Mm. I was like, wow, that's, that's, I mean, for a 20, 21 year old woman, that's, that's pretty deep. And I can understand that. And, and that is the kind of thing that's hitting in this world more than we know it, but nobody's sharing these kinds of stats. Nobody's sharing these kinds of stories. Um, I think that that story about Brian, if you tell that story to 12, 13, 14 year old boys, they're mature enough at that point there. I mean, they've already seen porn at that point. They're mature enough that they're probably becoming interested in, in the opposite sex in most cases. And, they don't want to be a porn fiend. They don't want to be a porn addict. They don't want to look at porn 24-7. They want a girlfriend. They want a significant other. They want someone who they can maybe kiss on the lips because uh, that's all they have the guts to go for. But that's what they want. But if they can't get that, they will go towards porn. And if that's all they can get them, if it's a shy kid or whatever it is, you know, grows up someplace and then very different, whatever it is, if that boy or girl is finding solace in porn instead of hopefully creating real relationships, um, they may end up like Brian down the road, you know, six, seven years of watching this stuff nonstop with a brain that's still forming, you know, you can stunt the growth. You can create neuro pathways that should never have been created in a 13 or 14 year old. And I think if we essentially tell 13 and 14 year old boys or maybe even 12, you know, a story like this about Brian, that if you look at too much porn, basically your penis can break. I think that's, that's scary, but it's true. Unfortunately, you know, they worked at it and they, they tried different techniques and I passed them on to some other people who could help them more than I could. But uh, Whitney ended up leaving him because he could not, number one, get away from the porn itself but he still had that issue. And uh, a young woman, that's not what she dreams about in a partner. You know, she that's not what a little girl wants in a partner. And if you're 21 or 22 and not attached, it's easy to leave that partner or easier to leave that partner than if you're older. And we need to let people know this is the fallout of making these decisions to watch too much in some people. Are you willing to take that risk or are you willing to at least pay attention to what you're doing? You know, okay, you're one of those people who smokes cigarettes after you only drink. As long as I see you only smoking cigarettes after you drink, I'm not going to get on you about it. But then I see you smoking other times. It's much like, you know, with, with, with pornography, people think it's, I get it under control. Then when they start to really think about it, they realize they don't, if they're an addict. Yeah. So, so. You know, a couple of things that that um, you mentioned that I just wanted to kind of go back around to is this notion that pornography can really raise the stimulation bar that's necessary to produce the type of um, erection or to reach ejaculation. Now, what I have found is uh, people that have been impacted by pornography in many instances are able to adjust their relationships or adjust the type of sex they're engaging in with their partner. Um, sometimes that involves cutting out porn. Other times it doesn't necessarily require that. And they're able to really kind of get from point A to point B where they're trying to get at. Um, so have you found that to be the case that you know, people that you've encountered are able to rectify uh, erection problems or ejaculation problems Sometimes that might involve cutting out porn, but other times maybe not. Has that been your yeah, experience? Yeah, a, a lot have. If they, <laughs> if you go back to the root of this, because what we have to realize is that um, if you have erectile dysfunction because of mm -hmm. pornography addiction, so the erectile dysfunction is a symptom of the addiction. Well, what is the addiction? The addiction is a symptom of some other deeper problem. How? Do, why and how did you become an addict? Uh you know, a, a guy who I'm sure you're very well versed with, Dr. Patrick Carnes, 
in his first groundbreaking study, I mean, what, I don't know if it's even 30 years now, when he, you know, he, he studied all the American men when it came to sex and pornography use. And those men who had any type of sex addiction, um, and I'm not going to quote the numbers exactly, but around 70% of men um, had some kind of unresolved trauma based on physical abuse. 80% was a sexual abuse. Over 90% was mental or emotional abuse. I'm going to guess that these statistics are probably still largely the same even in the age of the internet because that this, this study came out before that. But when you think about that, that basically means 90% of men who are using or are addicted to pornography have some kind of unresolved trauma in their past or more than one trauma. Um, in my case, I had, I had trauma for both sexual abuse and mental abuse or, or emotional abuse, however you want to consider it. I had to go through that work to deal with that. When I dealt with that, it actually became a lot easier to not use the porn. It wasn't simple. I still had to work at it. But when I coach people now, one of the ways that I look at this is that I believe 25% of the work, 25 to 30% of the work is about triggers and handling the addiction and handling the day-to-day -day behaviors, triggers, how to get away from them. But I believe about 70% of it really has to do with the backstory, really has to do with the trauma. Why were you using pornography? Why were you gambling so much? What was it that happened? What was it that you, what conclusion did you reach that this was the best move for you? And figuring out that kind of stuff for me and for so many other people that I've known helps deal with the addiction and can help, I mean, get rid of the addiction. I would assume that if the addiction goes, that that's going to create a more favorable environment to help the, the erectile dysfunction. And I would also imagine, I'll just um, kind of piggyback on that, is that if a person addresses um, the underlying trauma, that is also going to position them a whole lot better for partnered sexual activity right. because it's right. a real interpersonal experience. And um I imagine on some level, some of that trauma can reemerge being that connected and that close to another person. But if some of that trauma has been resolved, I imagine that it might also help with partnered sexual activity as well. Oh, I would think you're probably absolutely, absolutely correct about that. Um, you know, and, 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 it, and it's a process, you know, it's not, there's no, I have to tell people this, uh, there's no magic pill. There's no magic sentence. You know, if you are going to get through this, if you're going to figure this out, it's going to take work. You may have to change things physically. You may have to change things mentally. You know, there are so many different types of therapy that are out there for, you know, DBT, CBT, you know, experiential, just basic talk. I mean, there are I have never met a, in a former addict or recovering addict who was successful without mixing many modalities, including talking to someone else who had some sort of expertise um, involved. It, it's almost always necessary. It's, it's always necessary to talk to somebody who has been through this and is further ahead than you are. Uh, that's almost always part of a recovering person's story. Not necessarily 12 steps sponsor related, but just having that person who is uh, representative there. And that's part of why I'm out there doing this stuff. I do, I do coach half the time, but I'm out there half the time just trying to let people know that anybody can be a porn addict and anybody can suffer the effects of it. I have talk to people as you know in their teens straight up into their late 70s men women doesn't matter how much money you make who your parents were what your political party or religion is anybody can be a porn addict and while um, I think a lot of people try to rationalize or try to minimize uh, problems in that area because you just don't hear about it so much out there. People need to recognize that we, like I said, we now have enough data. We now have enough anecdotal evidence. Hey, I'm here to tell you my story and, <laughs> and what I know about it. This stuff is absolutely real. And if anybody out there is listening, uh, if you think you have an issue with pornography, but you didn't even know pornography addiction was a thing, much like I didn't, um, 
you know, it is a thing and, and please go get some help for it. Just because it's not heroin or gambling or food doesn't mean that it's not a real addiction and doesn't mean it's not going to cause just as much trouble in your life as any of those other things. Yeah. And, and another point I just want to emphasize for our listeners, because we've talked about porn on, on previous episodes and I've let my listeners know that I don't uh, use the terminology of porn-induced erectile dysfunction, but I think it's largely for the same reasons that you were just describing, and that is that there's oftentimes underlying components right. of each person's background and their mind that is impacting why they're relating to pornography in a certain way. And I think all too often, um, the general population sees, well, porn-induced erectile dysfunction, I'll just cut out porn. And sometimes that works, but more often than not, it's the underlying components that are going on for that person that are really oftentimes a much bigger factor leading to sexual dysfunction, leading to relationship problems. Um, But what what I was encouraged by is that I think we're like very much on the same page, even if we do utilize different terminology. And I want to make sure that the listeners who have heard my previous episodes about that understand that we're not that far off, even if our terminology is different. We can call it whatever you want to call it. That's what I tell people when people are like, well, I don't like the term addict. And I said, okay, cool. What, what, what should I use? What, what do you want me to do? I can use, you know, something use disorder, or I can say that, you know, you have a bad habit, or I can say you have a compulsion, or I can call you a pretty, pretty princess. Cause none of this matters. It's all just words. It's yes. what is ha- what is happening to you and what help are you getting for it? Exactly. And I think at, at the end of the getting to the bottom of it right. is the key is the key component here. Absolutely. So, Joshua, I want to ask you, you know, about another area that you have an expertise in and that you mentioned before, and that is this concept of betrayal trauma. Yep. So when a partner experiences, or when, let's say, a person experiences their partner engaging in this addictive pornography, you mentioned some of the impacts, but I want to get a little further into that to understand what you've, like, what you've seen being the impact on relationships and ultimately on sexual relationships. Sure. Well, let's, let's, I mean, let's, let's first recognize that betrayal trauma is not just man, woman, somebody cheated betrayal trauma at its absolute core is when you think that a piece of the world is so certain it is black or white. It is in cement. It is there. I know this. I would stake my life on it. And then it's not true. And that can be so many different things. You see that in people who uh, a loved one dies of suicide. You'll often see betrayal trauma because you know they get angry at that person, like they left them. Um, I was re- recently reading about a person who was diagnosed with betrayal trauma. Their parents had promised to move them. Uh, they were all going to move when they were like 13. The kid was 13 or 14. The kid was mercilessly teased and, and bullied at school, thought that uh, this move was going to be the thing that saved them when they said, and about a month before the planned move, it was it was pulled off. It was they stopped it. And this kid, you know, years later, it was that was that was diagnosed as betrayal trauma because he had this big belief he was going to leave, go to a better life. And then his parents, the people who were supposed to keep him safe, pull the rug out from under him mm-hmm. and essentially in his mind at the time force him to have more bullying. So that's so it's not just it's important to, to I mean, stress. I think it's, it's I not think, just that. I, I think you know, at the time that we're recording this, we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And I think we're all experiencing a little bit of betrayal trauma. It's not necessarily interpersonal, but we all had certain assumptions about yeah. how the world worked and the rug kind of got pulled Absolutely. out from underneath and, our and, feet. And that's why I think that's why you see, you know, all kinds of addiction going up, but also things like domestic violence, you know, gun ownership, violent crime, you know, people are on, on edge and, mm-hmm. and, and that's, this is part and parcel of, you know, what we're talking about here is, is that people are on edge and think about it with porn. People are in front of their computers. Uh, people are isolated. This is absolutely big enough. So you're isolated with who you think. And this, here's a for instance, you're isolated, whether you're a man or a woman with the person who you've been married to for seven or eight years, who you think is, uh, 
you know, darn good person, you know, you love them. And uh, then all of a sudden you find out that they have spent five to 10 hours a week looking at pornography every week since you've been married. Well, even if you don't mind pornography, that's a great big, oh, oh my God. I mean, who is this person? I don't, I don't yeah. know what they're doing for five to 10 hours. Is there another five to 10 hours I don't know about? What if they're going and getting massages or what if they've got somebody on the side or, you know, how, how do I know this person anymore? If this person could look me in the eye, live their life. And especially if the, if the partner has expressed a, a distaste for pornography, it's even worse. Uh, how could this person, if I told them that I hate pornography, still look at it behind my back? And it's not a big logical leap to go from, well, if they don't want to have, if they're, if sex is stopping with me or they don't want to have, have any sex with me, maybe it's because they're just having masturbating to porn, or maybe they're, this is step one and they're meeting somewhere, someone else, when it's not just that they don't realize that the fact is your, your, uh, your libido drops in addiction, you know, and that's true across the board with just about every addiction that's there. And as I said, it's ironic that somebody is, you know, taking part in activity that, you know, is so associated with, with sex, but they're doing this to calm the storm in their brain. Mm -hmm. It's like we think about eating to survive and to, to celebrate. These people are eating to calm the storm in the brain. And if you don't calm that storm, you think you are going to die. That is as serious as that's as that's as best as I can describe it, is you literally think you're going to die. And and, and if if you still don't believe me, um, tomorrow when you wake up. Turn on your phone, turn on every volume, turn up every alert, turn up everything that can buzz or beep, and then take a post-it note and put it across the front of your screen and see how long you last not looking at your phone. Most people I know who try this, who say, oh, that's not a big deal, they only last about two hours or they last six or seven alerts, and then they need to know what it is. Now, you and I grew up at a time when everybody didn't have a cell phone. What happened if someone died and you were on the phone? They called back later and told you then, and the person was still dead then. Mm -hmm. And and we we got along as people, but we now have this not just generation, but this world of people who it's like Pavlov's dogs with the feeder bar of refresh. And oh my God, did somebody like a status? Did somebody like my picture? It's it's, it's changed our our psychology. That's and that's that's addiction. It changes your internal psychology. Try to sit there and not look at the phone and every little twinge you get, I have to look or I have to look. That's the twinge you get with addiction, but it's much, 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 much worse because most addicts are so much further down the road with that. Um, that's the best way that I can try to explain it to people yeah. who haven't used it, who haven't been addicts before. So coming back though, to the betrayed partner. Yeah. So you were saying that a lot of times they're they're questioning, like, do who I know every, this? Who is yeah, this person? Who is do this? I know everything about them? Now, I want to just digress for one more moment here and ask. Sure. Now, I, I think the stereotype out there is that men are primarily the ones who are impacted by pornography use, porn addiction. I, I understand that the statistics that are out there would seem to indicate there is higher use among men as opposed to women. But we haven't really touched on women's use of pornography. So can you speak a little bit yeah, to that? Uh, if this is women, women are one of the top categories gaining as far as reports of pornography addiction. Uh, the top is, uh, number one, black men. Number two is white women. And number three, based on these are pre-pandemic because there's been nothing new since the pandemic. But. Uh, it was members of the LDS church in number three were the, were the uh, final demographic where you've seen explosions. Um, this doesn't mean that men are not looking, but when you think about the pornography industry over the, its history, back in the 60s, 70s, and even the first part of the 80s, 
the way that you saw pornography was that you went to a theater to see it. That was the only, so there were, there were these adult theaters. Well, if you wanted to make money back then making pornography, you had to hire actors, you had to hire a crew, you had to make it, you had to have it edited. It had to be, you had to find a distributor sent across the country. All, it was so hard to get a pornography film that you made in front of someone else's eyes that you, it was very hard to make money in this industry back then. And so what did they do? They focused on a straight white male audience. Well, if a straight white male audience is the one that's being catered to and being fed this stuff, of they will course, be the higher a straight consumers. white male is going to be higher. And now in the world of the internet, you and I could have a porn completely made, delivered, and making us money on the internet, you know, start early in the day, and we're making money by the end of the day these days. So since it's so much easier to make, so much cheaper to make, you can hyper-focus on certain demographics. And that's why you see that, you know, uh, geared towards just lesbians or geared towards a certain nationality or geared towards, you know, somebody's certain fetish or proclivity. You know, you couldn't have... Uh, you know, what, what's a foot fetish? That's a typical fetish. You couldn't really have a foot fetish porn in a theater back in 1980 because you wouldn't make it hard to money. Hard to fill the theater. You wouldn't sell enough tickets, but you can because of the way the internet works and the way that revenue works on the internet. You can be hyper uh, local or hyper specific. And gee, it turns out it doesn't matter your color and it doesn't matter your sex and it doesn't matter about so much. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of the same when it comes to this stuff. And while men still are the highest numbers, women are catching up. And it wouldn't surprise me if you and I, you know, got together in our very, very old age in 40 or 50 years. And we found that women were only maybe a, within a couple percentage points of men. So, so to that end, um, you know, certainly for um, our, our, our gay listeners who have male partners, this, you know, clearly would be, you know, a challenge with the betrayal, but it sounds like for heterosexual men, there's, you know, a real possibility that they're encountering or may encounter that their female partner is engaged with or engaging in pornography. Absolutely. How how does that betrayal impact sexual function for men who find that their partner is engaging in pornography or maybe is an active addiction with pornography? Well, it's, it's, um, it, it, I mean, it depends on the person. It depends on the story. Are you the kind of person who will accept mental health is a real thing, accept that addiction is a real thing, accept that this addiction is a real thing and that this person needs help? Uh, that's okay. Well, will this person go get help? There's another question of what you're going to do. Um, I, I don't think it matters whether you're a male or female or whether you're with a male or female or, or any other of the, uh, of, of the uh, gender or sexual labels that we use these days. I, it's, it's between two people. And uh, I think that you need to, I, I think you need to early in the relationship, uh, have a discussion about pornography and get on the same page because the reality is, you know, there are, there are swingers out there who are the happiest, most well-adjusted people you would ever meet. And then there are the vast majority of people who look at that lifestyle choice and think, oh my God, I could never do that. And essentially that's what brings their marriage to an end. Cause one of them goes out and has sex with someone else, but what if that's okay? Well, that's off the table. So it's so individualized. I think the best thing for you to do is to have an early conversation. Um, you'll have early conversations about sex. Porn should be part of it. One person loving porn does not mean both people will love porn. One person hating porn means neither person should watch porn in the relationship as a duo. Uh, Relationships I have come to find in my personal life and then just being a keen observer, it almost seems like the one who is more conservative calls the shots in whatever individual area you're in. You may be conservative here. I may be more conservative here. As a couple, you kind of have to almost cater to more of the conservative one and comfort them and make sure that they're not bothered or scared by whatever it is that you're more okay with. And what I'm gathering from you, Joshua, is that the communication is one of the best ways to not go down the betrayal road. Absolutely. And early on, um, 
try not to make it a shaming exercise. Try not to make it a judging exercise. Uh, and even if, and, and this is one thing I ask of my female clients, and most of the time they look at me and laugh, is that please try not to judge them on the porn that they looked at. I can tell you as an addict, I am not the porn that I looked at. Uh, with addiction, you have to escalate. You know, one guy, one girl isn't going to do it forever. So I need to, you know, uh, satisfy those brain chemicals that need more or, or maybe not even more, but need different and constantly need different. Much like my alcoholism, you know, beer wouldn't touch me at the end. Beer was like water. I had to basically drink straight tequila. And that's because it escalates. It goes to an extremity. Porn addiction is the exact same thing. Um, you know, you, you go to these extreme places and it can be scary for the other person, you know, if they don't know who you are or if they're thinking they don't know who you are. I mean, I've seen some very weird out there porn. Now, does this mean that I want to, you know, have a person urinate on me? No. Does that mean I want to urinate on somebody? No. Have I seen this kind of pornography? Vis visually yes. stimulating. It's visually stimulating, but it's not my real life. I also enjoy watching action flicks and I would cower within two seconds of having to be, you know, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. And the same thing with zombie movies. I would be dead five seconds into the zombie apocalypse because I would try to reason with them. And, you know, and, and that's the end of that. I'm, I can still enjoy visually these things but not be them. And that's something that I really try to drive home that, you know, oh my God, he looked at gay porn. Does this mean he's gay? And it's like, no, it doesn't mean he's gay. We are not the porn that we necessarily look at. And that's something that I really have to drive home when the women are, are and it's mostly women. I, I generally say that because most of them are, um, it's that they just don't know who this guy is. And suddenly if he's been looking at porn, well, and if he's been looking at porn of some weird stuff, maybe he's a weird guy. Maybe I don't know this. Maybe he's got this second family I don't know about. Oh my God, I better leave. I don't know what's going on here. I'm not safe. And you're, and it, you're saying the same the same way it that goes down that, that road. Yeah. The same way you are not the tequila that you drink. Exactly. You are uh, also not the porn that you consume. Exactly. And that has may not indicate at all what you're interested in actually doing in a partnered setting. It is a absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm if I'm getting you know drunk on champagne versus drunk on tequila, does that mean that I like the French more? No. You know, if I'm getting drunk on tequila and I'm not getting drunk on sake, does that mean I prefer Spanish and Latino to Asian? No. It like you said, you are not that. It's what you used. It's what you used to get at that nagging thing in your head. It's always about what's in your head. And that's what people have to constantly recognize is that yes, there are people who can look at porn casually. And there, there have been uh, probably five or six times in the last year where I will have a, uh, a, a client who has a female client who has uh, betrayal trauma and it'll be one of our first or second sessions. And she'll start to describe to me about her partner's pornography addiction. And she's not describing pornography addiction. She's just describing a guy who she told she doesn't want him watching pornography and he doesn't listen. That doesn't make him an addict. It makes him a bad partner. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that, that distinction is actually a great, great one that I want to try to wrap up on because yeah. it gives me something to think about and hopefully gives our listeners something to think about because we have this tendency to just paint the word porn as if right. it's this just this singular type of experience. And I think what I'm taking away from our conversation is that the question is, what is the porn doing? Is it calming some other storm up inside of the head? Or is the porn really being driven as a sexual outlet? And those are two fundamentally different experiences and different drivers, um, which I think can have pronounced and fundamental impact in terms of sexual function and sexual health and also relationship health. And I think if I was understanding correctly from that anecdotal piece that you were sharing right there is that that woman was calling it a porn addiction, but it was just a guy who was sexually just driven a guy to, who look, liked at to look at porn and wanted to, wanted to see porn and, and enjoyed looking at, enjoyed masturbating and his partner's 
feeling towards porn, the negativity it brought up and whatnot was not important enough for him to not Stop. look at it. But it wasn't an addiction. It, wasn't an addiction. it was just it was just him. It was like if your wife tells you or your husband tells you, you know, uh, you've eaten enough, you can only have one piece of cake, and then you go up to the fridge and you cut yourself a piece of cake and you go sit down. That doesn't mean you're a cake addict. It just means you went and you know you did something you shouldn't have done. If you do this every night and you start getting, you know, really uh, over the top about it and your whole life becomes about cake, yeah, we'll talk about addiction to cake. But with what you just did, it was just more of a uh, more of a rebellious thing. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's an important distinction for myself and the listeners to really really think about. And and something that I encourage you know listeners this podcast and the people that I work with is to think about what what their relationship is like with porn if they're engaging yeah. with it. Um, what is it doing for them? And I, I I think what you really brought out here you know in a powerful way for myself is this notion of like like other addictions, they're trying to calm a mental storm. And that's very different than trying to achieve sexual gratification per se. Exactly. And you can see that's it's very easily to get it confused if you're the partner, because obviously gambling isn't about finding another life partner. But gee, I can make that distinction, that pornography, or especially infidelity involving in sex addiction, um, which you off sometimes goes goes together with this. Um, you can understand how a partner would make that logical leap, even though there isn't a connection. You know, I was a porn addict at twelve. I met my wife when I was twenty-six. How could she ever have anything to do with it? If I've met somebody, you know, if I've had a problem for 12 years and then I met you, all you're doing is living with me having that problem. You're yes. not actually, you didn't actually cause anything to do with this, but because of the manipulation, the lying, the secrecy, excuse me, that goes on, you end up with these situations where, you know, a woman learns that they're gaslighted or a partner learns that they're gaslighted and uh, they, that, that, that just absolutely shakes their foundation. It's no longer black or white. It's just a world of grays. And that's like standing on quicksand. Yeah. So Joshua, this has been extremely helpful. Um, I think our listeners are really going to appreciate just the, the point of view that you bring uh, in terms of the, the complexity when it comes to pornography. I know that I've benefited and I am really excited to get this episode out to our listeners as soon as we can, because we really try to cover everything and anything related to sexual function, erectile function, and erectile dysfunction. And I think this is just such an important layer to be bringing to people's attention. And certainly uh, pornography, as you highlighted, is prevalent. It, it's almost just a part of, of life in 2021. Um, and for you know, men to be aware that uh, there, there are is a mind occupying and a almost a mind numbing way that you can be engaging in porn that really can be addictive um, and may indicate that there's more stuff that you need to be doing to really get your life back, get your relationships back and your sexual life back. Um, so I really, really appreciate being able to get that message out um, and look forward to, to talking with you on future episodes about other related topics. I hope so. This was a great conversation. And uh, like, like I said, if anybody out there is even slightly questioning themselves, just see somebody who knows what they're talking about or talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Because, you know, hey, you may be early enough that this can be caught and it not be a giant, you know, change in your life. This is one of those things that I can tell you when I finally went and got help, I had to change my life 180 degrees. Um, I wish I would have had somebody point this out to me 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier. I wish that society would have known about this and said something different, but it is what it is. It was what it was. Uh, but it doesn't have to be, and we need more people to recognize that we can't talk about pornography addiction until we talk about pornography, and you and I have just talked for an hour and have not been graphic or disgusting mm -hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. You don't need to be when you're talking about this stuff. It's not the birds and the bees. It's about a substance or a thing or a behavior that can harm you if used improperly or if you are predisposed to uh, it being, you know, improper use harming you need to know about that. That's all I want society to do.
Yes, and we we are happy to get that message out. Um, and our, I think our listeners are going to benefit from from this just added layer of complexity when it comes to the mind, when it comes to the mind's impact on human sexuality. So once again, thank you and uh, look forward to hosting you in the future. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you know there is a huge mental component that goes into achieving an erection. Mark Goldberg, the certified sex therapist who hosts this podcast, felt as though this was a very underserved topic of education in men's health. That's why he designed Beyond the Little Blue Pill, the thinking man's guide to addressing ED. The course is designed to educate and fundamentally help you change the way you think about erections check it out at erectioniq.com front slash course you can explore three modules of this course completely free see if there's something in there that can help you erectioniq.com slash course and you can learn more there thanks for listening to the erectile dysfunction radio podcast for more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction please visit erectioniq.com